0: It's episode 50 of Auto Catch-Up, and it's so good to have you here this week. Auto Catch-Up, of course, is your place to get the weekly wrap-up of everything that is going on in the automotive world here in Australia and around the world. I'm Ash Perkins, and... We've got a few things to cover this week. This is a bit of an interesting week. Of course, we've had our very first race of the Formula One season in 2021, and uh, that carried on in Bahrain, and that was what a thriller of a race. It was a really exciting one to watch, and um, I highly recommend jumping on and seeing the highlights rest of it though it's pretty interesting so Porsche came in the boxer so could be going electric next generation um zuzu celebrate 200,000 deliveries volkswagen yeah that's right volt Volt wagon. Um, apparently a bit of a name change in the US for the VW brand with all of their EVs and um, we've got a few more things to talk about including what we're expecting even the GR86 uh, from Toyota and the Subaru BRZ and, and what that means and uh, the little bit of confusion that's going around that at the moment, but um, but let's get right into it. So this week I've been driving the Toyota Rav4 Hybrid in the Cruiser spec. Now, uh, it is probably the oh, it's one of the most popular cars out on the road at the moment. It, you still can't buy one. Um, there's still quite a wait, depending exactly of course on what spec you want. But most of the time, most specs, there is a wait time for it. And is it worth it? I think so. I think it's a fairly good car. It's it's definitely got a lot of space. It's it's not bad looking at all. Um, You can... You would be forgiven for confusing it for a a Kluger, um, the larger SUV from the back. There is quite a few similarities there. On the inside, it's... In the cruiser spec, you've got your leather seats, you've got um, your 360 degree camera view, and uh, basically all of the different pieces of technology that you would expect in a um, in a car these days, include all of your safety tech and things like that. Of course, you've got the hybrid, which has been the biggest um, biggest difference with this generation Rev4. And I have to say it, it makes perfect sense for you to be buying this in a hybrid. Hybrid wise, um, and in terms of fuel economy, i have got about 5.4 liters per one hundred out of a single tank. Um, sorry, out of out of an average, um, with getting about just over eight hundred to eight hundred and fifty kilometers out of a single tank. Um, it drives well. It, it 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 drives. If you've driven any other sort of Toyota hybrid before. It it pretty much is exactly what you're going to expect. It's not going to um, blow you away in terms of performance, but um, it is going to return that to you in terms of fuel economy. It it works. It just it works great in busy traffic, just like any other hybrid does. Um, would it be nice to see an all electric version of it? I think so. I think it would be just like the Kona EV. I think there's potential there for that to be fully electric without too much compromise. Um, But there's plenty of space across the five seats. You do have a... It's not a space saver spare wheel, but it is isn't a full-size spare spare wheel, even though when looking at that space, you feel like you could get away with having um, a full-size spare down there. Um, But... Yeah, it's, it, it drives well. It, it just ticks all the boxes. It's not a car that's going to blow you away in a lot of areas. But if you are coming from an older car and stepping into a RAV4, I think you're going to see a lot of the key differences um, that have probably will will make a big defining factor. You do have wireless charging, but no wireless CarPlay. But there is, if you have a USB cable with you, there is... Android Auto and Apple CarPlay available for you. Seat warmers in the front, no seat cooling unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's a, it does a good job of being a car. It gets you up off the ground, so you're not like a Camry or a or even the Aris the week before that I was driving. You get that slightly elevated area, and um, yeah, it's it's just not a car that really blows you away. But it's a, it's it's just damn good at being a car and I think um, and that that probably is why it's one of the most popular cars out on the road at the moment and um, certainly in this hybrid version and um, certainly wasn't disappointed in driving the hybrid. It was the car that I have been wanting to drive for quite a long time but because of stock issues um, even Toyota couldn't get one back into their pre-sleep fast enough. Coming up next... I've just switched over into the Hilux SR5 and um, currently we're in lockdown in Brisbane so I, I only picked it up and drove it straight home so I haven't had much time to play around with it but I'm um, hopefully, fingers crossed that we do get um, out of this lockdown before Easter so we can sort of go out and enjoy um, what the Hilux has to offer. Otherwise, um, we will have to reschedule that for a later time to be able to really explore what the Hilux and um, what essentially Australia's best-selling car is um, is able to do. It's been a long time since I've driven a Hilux and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to spending some more time with it. But let's jump into the news. So first up... The uh, report's coming out of... Um, this is out of the Auto Express. The next generation Porsche Cayman and Boxster could be fully electric by um, what they're saying by summer is when the decision going to be made. Now, Porsche have been leading their four-cylinder engines in the Cayman and the Boxster. And um, it kind of makes sense that before making the 911 fully electric, that we would see an electric Cayman and Boxster first, um, or at least even, I'm surprised we haven't seen a hybrid version. Um, but coming out of uh, Porsche, they're saying, there is an opportunity that we will do the 718 electric, but we are still in a concept period where we haven't decided yet yet to go electric now. We need future battery evolution. We'll wait a couple of months before we decide which concept we will use but i think there is a positive percent potential to do this and when we do the 718 electric should be driven like a 911 and all other sports cars so with the take coming out and um and the the response that that has had and in how it's delivering exactly what the porsche should should be um i think that they're going to make the right decision here and uh i don't really have any hesitation at all in seeing one of these in electric form I, I think that the potential there is great um as long as they maintain that fantastic balance which these cars are known for and that extra performance that you know it has been putting pressure on the 911 and um yeah we'll see what the things but I think that's kind of you know it's exciting it's 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 it's, it's uh what am I going to say it's it's exciting that Porsche uh, are getting behind electric cars and not just in a you know wait and see how it goes and but they're actually leading the way and they're pushing it forwards with the Taycan. Um, they said, look, by coming from a sustainability perspective, the long term future will be electric mobility. I think drivers who already have driven electric cars are very convinced. I think we convinced the community as well, especially as it did with the Taycan. We have much more ideas for our future electric cars. Our future is electric. Um, and 100% at Porsche. So there you go. Um, But they are saying they do have the flexibility in the product range to continue with the 911 on combustion engines and to continue on cars with other cars on uh, combustion engines and to produce hybrids, high electric only ranges, to introduce hybrids on the 911. Uh, There's still lots of options. So particularly with them developing synthetic fuels um and i think their timeline for that which we spoke about a few weeks ago is 2025 i'm very much looking forward to the future and um whether i think porsche are great custodians of for car enthusiasts to usher them in in, into this new era so i am looking forward to see what they come out with and and how how they're able to integrate, particularly in a slightly smaller car compared to the Taycan, um, that electric performance without compromising the overall design of what it, which has now become iconic for the Boxster and the Cayman. Moving on, Zuzu Ute is celebrating their two hundred thousandth vehicle sale. Um, they commenced operations in November in two thousand eight here in Australia, and um, in February twenty twenty one they. Had their two hundred thousandth new customer vehicle delivered, and um, that's a, a mighty milestone for a, for a brand like this. And it's not just uh, it's sort of you know their two products, a D Max unit and the seven seat MUX. Um, you know, it's it's. it's particularly in such a competitive market, they've uh, done a fantastic job of establishing the brand. And also we've spoken about it in previous episodes with, with Mick and um, Joel talk about how with that experience coming from commercial vehicles, they have really been able to deliver uh, a quite a reliable and um, you know, a vehicle that particularly within industry, they can trust. Um, but yeah, this is, this is very exciting for them. Congratulations to them. Um, particularly as uh, just late last year, they introduced the third-generation DMX Ute. And um, yeah, they've, uh, they're celebrating how it's pushed it into the third position in the one-ton Ute segment, delivering uh, 11,000 DMX Utes over the past six months. Over the same period, MUX has seen similar sales, level of sales, earning itself third position with the SUV large under 70,000 segment. So there you go. Congratulations, Zuzu, and um, looking forward to see what you uh, what that also leads to in the future. So next, Subaru um, Melbourne Trivet Subaru dealers are moving to a fixed price model. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, we've seen a couple of different brands, and obviously this is starting to become a bit of a an experiment. Within um, Subaru and one of its dealers um, within Trivet. And um, yeah, so they're implementing a no-haggle fixed-price model for all new Subaru vehicles at seven of its Melbourne dealerships. Um, They have been trialing the Melbourne price pledge with two models since May 2020, and it's now live across all models Um, at Subaru dealerships in Berwick, Docklands, Doncaster, Essendon, Glen Waverley, Menton, and Werribee Plaza. So what they're saying is that what they're calling the price pledge gives Subaru Melbourne customers transparency in the process of considering a new car. It presents our best price upfront first time. Um, this is more of a way to protect the business than it is, I think, for um, customers in some ways, not always, um, but in some ways and it means that if you're not as great at negotiating a price on a vehicle or you're not comfortable negotiating, you're going to at least fill in and say, look, I'm getting the best price rather than being taken for taken for a ride. Um, obviously, those who love to negotiate are going to miss out or feel like they're going to miss out and not getting as much value when you walk in here. It, um But I think... Um, yeah, it's it's a really tough one when moving to fixed price because obviously we're used to that with um you know with uh, technology, food we don't walk in and negotiate on, on our groceries but you know when you are buying a computer you can walk in and pay the price but also whilst there's not a lot of room to negotiate you can normally negotiate a price on a on a new laptop or or TV or something like that, um, but. Yeah, they, uh, but they say there will be price fluctuations and so they're saying the main calculation for the price pledge is quite simple. We just work out the average discount that our customers have negotiated historically, then balance against stock availability across Australia. So if stock is high, the discount tends to be higher. If the stock is low, the discount generally reduces us. So it seems like they're going to be doing a bit more of like a, a fuel price thing, um, but they are saying how it will move over time. We'll try and limit changes to only once per a month once the customer signs a contract that will be the final price so there you go if they're saying it will be exclusive and consistent across all of the Trevet dealerships in melbourne and um, if the if it says the price is not the same at every civil retailer as most independently owned and operated whether you like or dislike negotiating we believe everybody deserves our best price first time this allows us to concentrate on what's right for the customer and give them Give them time back. Um, So, yeah, this is going to be really interesting. I think when it's not a brand level and this is a dealership level, things are going to be a little bit different because you could still go to another Subaru dealer and negotiate on price. And then I'm sure... They would entertain a price like that or the opportunity at um at one of these dealers but it gives you at least there's still a little bit of competition within the market compared to um let's say all of tesla or all of mercedes uh, pushing toward or even honda where you walk in and if that's the price doesn't matter where you go you're going to get the same price um whether it's a better price or a worse price um, or if it's you're getting a sense of value or not. So that's going to be really interesting to follow along and to see how that continues for them. Um, they have said that they have been doing this for, for two models um, since... Earlier last year, since May 2020, so obviously there's some credibility in this approach of what they're doing, and um, we'll have to try and reach out to them and see what they say, see what the get a little bit more insights into the business motivators there, just to better understand it. But if you have any questions about it, or um, you you have a an opinion you'd like to share about it, whether the fixed price model or not, um, is one. Do do you think it's friendly for for consumers or not, or do you think it's more of in in the in the in the favor of dealers or the manufacturer let us know um, send us a message shows at dailyautofix.com or um, get in touch with our social media at daily autofix um, we'd love to hear what you think so moving right along mg so they've, they've been on a bit of a roll lately they've got a few models coming out so that the latest couple have been the mg extender which is a dual cab U. um it was currently it was just recently unveiled in thailand and um curiously it was in right hand drive so but the potential for it coming down under is i'd say it's a little bit higher given there's not many right hand drive uh uh markets but yeah, it's, uh, it could be on the cars as it was um, shown off in Thailand at the Bangkok International Motor Show and um, whilst it's never come down under, this new version is built for the right-hand drive initially for the Thailand market um, but... It's it's feasible that it could could happen. It is quite a busy market already, um, but there is quite a sales frenzy with an MG. We know that they've cracked the, the top ten, um, and the and even GWM and Saint-Yong, um are doing pretty well now in 2021 compared to a pretty rough time in 2020. Uh, the year itself is um, quite a tough looking thing. It's it's like a cross between um, the Toyota and the and said Volkswagen a little bit depending on which angle you look at it from the front or the rear it does have redesigned tail lights um, that have a wonderful big LED bar across the back uh, slimline headlights integrate um, with the two-tone 18-inch alloy wheels and then on the interior it is it does look a little car-like which is something that we've been missing for a little while it's got a 10-inch infotainment screen with the uh, MG iSmart software it does have Apple CarPlay and um, your typical safety systems stability control, traction control, heel start and heel descent assist, lane departure warning, and tire pressure monitoring. Even though that's probably an error, I would expect more safety features. And, um, particularly these days with, like we said, well, like we mentioned earlier, Azuzu and, um, and other updated models are coming pretty well packed with, uh, all of the safety features you could want, which have been borrowed from the car. So that's probably the one area which that need to step it up a bit. But, um, with this being shown off in right-hand drive, I think, uh, we're in, a, we're in for a pretty good shot of seeing this down under, um, as we learn more, we'll obviously, uh, let you know, but probably what, is uh, more exciting for me um, and and a lot less practical is the MG Cyberster electric supercar. Um, So it's set to reveal sometime this week. Uh, We're saying potentially um, tomorrow, so March 31st when this comes out. And um, yeah, so it's been teased with a whole bunch of new um, sketches and information and it looks... It, it it doesn't look like it'd be coming out of a, 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 an affordable brand such as MG. I'll just leave it at that. Um, so they're saying it 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 harks back to their their classic sports cars, particularly from the 1960s. Um, and they're saying that yeah, it, uh, the brand is saying that the exterior design of the concept embodies a balance of startling startling aesthetics and romanticism. Uh, the interior is deeply considered with mechanical performance and smart technology, which constructed. An unprecedented super sensory virtual space. Um, so, saying that it is the concept anyway, they're claiming to have about a range of 800 kilometers and a zero to 100 in less than three seconds, which is going to be incredibly um, impressive, particularly if they can deliver it for an affordable price point. I think that's going to be the the next thing if they can um i don't know if they what price point would people accept an mg supercar i don't know um particularly if you if you consider the the corvette it would probably have to it have to be cheaper than a corvette or about the same for a corvette for people to even think about it but even then i, I think a be probably still too expensive for the badge just right now. But it's certainly, if it can meet on those performance figures, I think they're going to certainly raise some eyebrows and draw some attention. Um, So it's uh, keep, keep tuned for that. We'll revisit... It next week, but um, check out the story that we've linked in uh, in the show notes, just to have a look at some of the images that have been teased. It's um, mightily impressive, and if anything, it's a great insight into what the MG design uh, team is able to create, and um, perhaps an insight glimpse of what their future design languages are thinking in uh, in future more normal um, road cars. So, um, Volkswagen. So they have, uh, so there's a couple of different stories coming here. So one is, uh, VW Volkswagen is, um, has, has, is seemingly just confirmed a few hours ago in, in the U S only so far, um, we'll be using the Volkswagen for all their electric cars. So V O L T S not V O L K S, um, which people are a bit unsure of it being an April fool's joke or not, but they've come out and said, no, nope, it's real. Um, so that is an interesting move. And um, it, they wanted to, to reconfirm essentially that, yeah, we're serious about electric cars. Uh, but another thing uh, following on from a fairly aggressive comments from Volkswagen earlier um, a few weeks ago is that they're, they're going to be bringing the cupra brand to australia so if you're unfamiliar with that it's more of a it's a cupra is a is a is a sports brand of their own um it's a it's a they've got their own racing car workshop in 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 spain um they both have internal combustion and hybrid versions of the different cars it's got a huge history um as a brand, but they will be expanding to the Australian market this year, probably starting with the mid size coupe, the SUV for Mentor. Um, if you look at this photo on thedriven.io, which we've linked in the thing, it is super aggressive. It really looks cool. Um, it will be a 500 kilometer electric range single charge vehicle built on VW's MEB platforms um and uh yeah this is going to be a pretty pretty exciting um they're saying that it would expand to the brand within uh in 2022 so we've still got a little way off um and uh yeah we'll see what more information what price point uh, that we're coming from, but it is an interesting move following the Volkswagen's comments previously that um, Australia is quite hostile towards electric vehicles, and um, and hence why we don't really have any electric vehicles from the Volkswagen group. We miss out on pretty much all of their their key models. So we'll see how that goes, and um, as we learn more, we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date. And then finally. Um, ferrari so a few renders have popped up um the ferrari suv i'm gonna butcher this name it's the puro sangue p-u-r-o-s-a-n-g-u-e um anyway i'm not sure about that name but we'll uh, we'll see if it's gonna stick around um but it's it's seemingly coming closer and closer to reality but um it's it's we've only ever seen test mules so far getting around and um they've been using um essentially the gtc for lusso or the maserati levante to hide the car um but based off a few of those uh mules running around um georgie terrands Teteruds. I'm sorry about that um but he's an artist that has um rendered a couple of different versions to show which direction the vehicle is going now from the front it looks exciting it looks a bit of a blend of the Maserati Levante and the Lamborghini Urus and the rear is very similar to the Ferrari Roma um and uh with a with a big long strip coming through through the front so yeah, I'm sold on the front. I'm not sold on the back. So hopefully we'll get a bit more clarity. And um, perhaps as we get closer and closer and the uh, test mules and the prototype vehicles, as we do their on-road testing, we can sort of get a greater glimpse. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm really curious to see what Ferrari are going to do with an SUV. It's um, With Lamborghini, I think it's, it's very... Um, polarizing that design it is very much 100 percent ferrari uh sorry lamborghini there's no second guessing of what that urus is all about but with ferrari um, it's 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 a Ferrari and how do you make a Ferrari SUV? And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. And we'll probably see within a lot of the marketing campaign as well in, in, in the lead up in, in, in the launch of this vehicle that they're going to be saying how this is still very much a Ferrari and here's all the elements that, that make it a Ferrari. And um, i would be interested to see how they navigate around what, a Ferrari is and how that translates to an, to an, SUV. I'm not saying that a Ferrari can't be an SUV. It's um, a Ferrari can be whatever Ferrari want a, a car to be. Um, but how does it live up to the brand and the brand that they've developed? That's the question. And I think that's a, the thing for me where I've been struggling. How, how does that, how does that work? Um, but we'll uh, we'll certainly see what um, you know what what they come up with, and I'm sure we won't be too far away with what um, what Ferrari come up with and and, and how they're going to show it off to the world. Okay, on to motorsport. We um, had a pretty exciting opening round at the Formula One 2021 season in Bahrain. Um, we had Max Verstappen on pole. We had um, a thrilling sort of knockout of Q one two and uh, of course three um certainly lots of drama and i highly recommend jumping on and seeing the um the the highlights of these sessions and particularly the radio it's quite hilarious particularly Kimi raikkonen um delivering as always on the radio um this season we had a number of different um rookies joining the formula one greed we have yuki Sonoda. Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, as well as old hat uh, for Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion joining back in the grid. And um, it was a a thrilling race with um, a few mixed results at the same time. So we had a uh, Lewis Hamilton win after a thrilling battle with Max Verstappen over the last number of laps. A bit of controversy around the use of track limits and in um, the enforcement of those track limits. I think uh, whilst I can understand the current result of what happened when Max Verstappen overtook uh, in turn four and ran wide, he had to give that position back, even though I think uh, a few fans had counted the 29 times Lewis Hamilton had ignored those track limits, um, but it didn't really fit under that circumstance of passing someone. It was within. Um, the, there was no impact in the, in the battle that was going on, um, but you know that obviously leaves the door open for a lot of different arguments as well. Um, we did have uh, Max Verstappen finished second, of course. Valt- Valtteri Bottas in third, Lando Norris in fourth in McLaren, and uh, Sergio Perez charged up from uh, starting in the pit lane after a really odd issue where that car just completely cut out from power. There was nothing on the screen, nothing at all. And he was somehow able to get that, that car started again and, and was able to start from the, uh, the pits and, and charged his way up the, up the, up the leaderboard and finished fifth. Uh, Leclerc in the Ferrari finished sixth with Daniel Ricciardo following up behind him. Uh, Carlos Sainz jumped in the Ferrari. First time racing for the Ferrari outfit this season, and then Yuki Tsunoda, the first time a Japanese person has scored uh, points since 2012, I believe, and um, obviously for him, it's a great outcome where he's been able to score points in his first F1 race, so outstanding, and um, he's been absolutely wonderful to, to watch on the onboards and um, also over the radio. It's very entertaining, and I think it's going to fit in right in into, uh, I guess, the the current landscape of Formula One. I think he fits in really, really well. Last roll for the rebranded Aston Martin outfit, branded out the top 10 with Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi, Esteban Ocon, George Russell, Sebastian Vettel in the Aston Martin, and Mick Schubacher finishing out the, uh, the top 16 with Pierre Gasly, Nicholas Latifi, Fernando Alonso, and Nikita Mazepin, uh, unfortunately not been able to, uh, to finish the race, uh, so, um, yeah, it's a, it was a great race. We move on to, though, the really weird thing, having um, such a, a jam-packed season last season where we had a, re- a race every week for three weeks at a time. Then we had a, a week off, then back into races. It was going to be a number of weekends until we see Formula 1 again, and um, it's going to be on April 18th. It is your at the uh, emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Forgive me for... Uh, for absolutely uh, butchering, but it's Back at Imola. So that is um, the exciting part. Imola is a fantastic Formula One track and um, it's fantastic to be back there. And then uh, following on from that in May 2nd, we have the Portuguese Grand Prix. So at least uh, the wait is going to be worth it, hopefully. And um, it's going to be a great time for teams as well to, to digest from the opening race and uh, rather than smashing into another race a week after, uh, reflect and also, I guess, uh, get some more data under the belts and and learnings from that first race to be able to take it into a stronger second race but i can't wait for it and um yeah it's uh it's uh been a i don't know it's uh it's, uh, it's been a long time coming for the season and it's been surprising a lot more competitive than we thought Max Verstappen and the Red Bull is um, certainly bringing the competition and uh, hopefully with Perez as he gets used to the car and um, that we can sort of see a real fight up the top and uh, it seems that like McLaren are bringing that fight as well and Ferrari re- able to regain some of the, the ground which they lost last year um, so yeah it's shaping up to be a very exciting um, season and it's great to see that um, that uh, the season isn't a complete wash for for everybody. Um, after seeing the cars actually performing on track, it, I think it's giving us that uh, that excitement that we've been desperately wanting. Even though it's not perfect, but I think it's going to carry us through until the new regulations next year. Just well. Now uh, Sabine Schmidt unfortunately passed away um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, known as the Queen of the Nurburgring, um, it's still a bit shocking that she has uh, has passed away. But um, her fans are asking the Nurburgring to name a corner after her. She has um, done a, 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 in terms of from just a, a PR point of view, let alone a, a, you know the impacts that she's had within motorsport. Um, she's done wonderful things to raise the profile of the Nurburgring and and. Females within um, motorsport as well. And so I think it would be fitting that the uh, one of the most famous tracks in the world honours her name with a, with a corner. A few people have uh, already written on or joined the petition. Um, there's now about 46,000 people. The initial goal was just 10,000, um, but it's uh, I think it'd be highly appropriate and uh, definitely something to, to honour the memory of somebody like Sabine Schmitz. Moving on to some local news now. So, Nissan are taking a slightly different hybrid route and they've attracted some um, skepticism and... um uh, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's it's certainly interesting. Anyway, um, so the their the new ePower hybrid system, which they're building on, is a, it's talking about building a highly efficient onboard combustion engine that recharges the the electric motor lithium ion batteries. So rather than having that engine connected to the wheels, it's going to be connected as a generator, a port- essentially a portable generator for the the electric motor and its batteries. So, it is a hybrid, but it isn't a hybrid. And um, it does sort of work to create not only what they're saying is seamless and powerful acceleration, experience similar to an EV, but without the concern of finding a charging station. Um, Instead, a visit to a gas station is all that's needed to refuel. This makes electric mobility available to many more drivers than before. Now, I can see... The idea behind it, but I think it's probably not exactly um, a great long term outcome. Um, it doesn't really go to, ach- you know, sort of achieve exactly what EVs are trying to do, has been as that greener alternative to um, automotive mobility. But I can see this being a bit of a stopgap, as long as it means that they can this technology, which they're developing, part of that the electric side, is something that can be translated to and improving the battery system. Because um, otherwise, I don't see much of an advantage over even traditional hybrid systems right now. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not about having. An experience like an EV, which they're saying this ensures the driving experience is quiet, like an EV in most driving scenes, like a run around town, Um, and they're saying it's quite. Technical, they're saying, Look, it looks like a simple system to, that's easy to develop. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And that's where I have to go, Well, why are you doing it? Um, you've got the Nissan Leaf, you've got, um, you need to improve the battery, you need to improve the electric motors. I don't think going to a hybrid system like this is necessarily the right move if you had the technology and you can put it together now and um, have it as a as a shipping product, I think that could make sense. But if you have to develop the whole platform and uh and the powertrain from scratch, I don't know if that's going to be the exact uh, the right move. But I don't know, it could be totally wrong. Um and I think uh and and that's I'm not afraid to be wrong. I just don't think um yeah it has a particularly um big future particularly with how rapidly we're getting to more and more evs such as the mercedes-benz eqa so the eqa 250 pricing has been revealed so it is um going to be the most affordable ev in australia to arrive it's it's coming in uh, the middle of this year um with a comparable petrol powered price tag which i think is key and it's a great move so um it's uh the eqa is going to be priced at seventy-six thousand eight hundred plus your onroads it's still not cheap but obviously it's it's the cheapest EV from Mercedes right now. Um, it undercuts the EQC um, by, by a significant lot. That starts at 140000 plus your on-road costs and um, slots into the middle of the similarly sized conventional GLA range. That's priced between fifty five dollars and $108,000. So I think that is kind of a, a good sweet spot. Um, it certainly is closer to where it needs to be. Normally, um, with the electric version, you are paying a premium on top of the most expensive model, the highest spec model. But this seems to be a slightly different approach which they're going for, which I can certainly jump on board with. Um, so, the electric motors produce 140 kilowatts, 375 newton meters of torque. And um, compared to the regular GLA 250 with the power um, or with the uh, with the internal combustion motor that has 165 kilowatts or 350 newton metres so it's fairly comparable it's not 100% but it is uh, certainly closer and it drives the front front wheels through a single speed transmission so 0 to 100 isn't the fastest but it's still at 8.9 seconds um, top speed of 160 kilometres per hour and um, yeah it is quite heavy it is just over 2 ton um, which is pretty heavy for a GLA EQA sort of size vehicle uh, it has a 66.5 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery that gives you a 480-kilometer range. Um, that's with the Australia's ADR measurement of 426, depending on which standard you're using. Um, so this is pretty cool. I think this is... We're going to be seeing a lot more of this where we're seeing a more moderately priced electric vehicle slot right into the middle, and... Um, it makes a lot more sense. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more adoption because of this. Not as great as it would be if you had some government incentives, but um, but I think manufacturers are going to have to get a little bit creative of how they encourage people to jump across to these sorts of vehicles if they want them to. So Mercedes says that uh, the EQA 250 can be recharged from 10 to 80 percent capacity using a fast charger up to 100 kilowatts in just 30 minutes. Um, but if you want to get a 100 percent charge via an AC wall box or a charging station that can take between 5 hours and 45 minutes um, so certainly want to have a fast charger near you or um, or at least not be going anywhere anytime soon so plugging in overnight is going to be a great alternative if you have that available to you um, but at least With the fast charger, you should be able to go do your shopping, park the car whilst it's charging and then come back and you should have a 80% charge vehicle, which will get you most places and probably fits within most people's weekly sort of runabout. Uh, You do have your standard set of features, 19-inch wheels, heated and electronically adjustable front seats, uh, Artico upholstery and leather sports steering wheel, Um, plus you have all your safety aids and things like that. You have um, your similar Mercedes infotainment screen, so you get two 10.25-inch touchscreens with Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, and digital radio. And um, yeah, there is an Edition 1 version being offered and that will have a whole they're not listing it here, but a swag of additional features and unique badging for an additional $7,300, which is not cheap. Talk about 10% premium on uh, on the standard car. They are ex- We are expecting more variants. So this is just the EQA 250. I do expect a, a more entry level and maybe one more model that sits just above that to, to slot in, um, particularly one. So the rumors are about 200 kilowatts. Um, and uh with a with a range of about you know and then another version with about 500 kilometers um so that is a a positive step I think um it's not the best looking SUV I, I'd, I'd say it's not necessarily my cup of tea and I've got a few people um that I've been speaking to that are very interested in the EQA and um I think just from a pricing point of view this is certainly getting to a point where it's comparable it it fits right in with the GLA range and um yeah that makes a lot more a lot more sense. Okay so um We've spoken about the Hydrogen Nexo the, from Hyundai, but we do have the local specs now for the vehicle. Um, it is only available to, to... Well, you can lease it privately in business customers, but there are no Hydrogen recharging stations right now that are easily accessible. Um, there is one in Canberra. I know there is one coming in Queensland, but I don't know what stage that is that is at. But it is currently been tested by, um, by governments in the ACT, Um, But there is a 95 kilowatt hydrogen fuel cell system. So it carries 156 liters of hydrogen gas storage. And then it uses that to generate electricity um, by pushing that gas through a structure um, where it's met with regular ambient air and it generates electricity and powers the electric motor. Um, Excess electricity is generated, including energy harvesting during braking is then stored into a a very small battery. um, So it can deploy that when it needs to. Power-wise, out of the hydrogen, you're getting 135 kilowatts and 395 newton-metres of torque sent only through the front wheels. Um, it does give a range of about 666 kilometers according to the current test cycle. And um, there's going to be four hydrogen stations for um, that can recharge the Hyundai and it can take as little as five minutes. And I think that's the key differentiator right now with hydrogen versus um, pure electric battery vehicles is um we'll just talk about with the eqa depends on what charger you're using what speed um you know how long it takes it can take you half an hour it can take you five hours who knows um but this is more comparable to a petrol car where you can just plug it in it it fills it up with hydrogen and uh yeah undo the connector and there you go you've got a full Full vehicle, and um, yeah, so you do have all of your features. It looks very similar to uh, to a Kona EV on the inside. Um, if you are familiar with that, uh, it does have all of your Smart Sense um, features, which have your forward and reverse autonomous braking, blind spot monitor, inclusion avoidance, rear cross traffic alert, adaptive cruise control, and lane keeping assist. You have LED headlights, 19-inch wheels, glass sunroof, and a power operated tailgate. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of... It kind of it's, I don't know. I, I really like this. There's a few people that aren't really sold on hydrogen, but I think the potential is there, particularly when you have such a business case for hydrogen compared to electric um, and minimizing the amount of time off the road needed. I think um, this has some great potential and it's great to have at least the government you know, uh, doing a bit of a you know doing these evaluations and and, and doing a little bit of that driving in the technology. You can lease one of these yourself privately, um, but again, just make sure that you've got a, a hydrogen fueling station nearby that's going to make a big difference for you. Um, you do have decent boot space as well. They do make a point um, that you do get comparable boot space. To uh, you know, a conventionally powered car, so 461 liters with the rear seats in place, or f- nearly 1500 liters with the second row folded. And you do get a tyre repair kit, rather than a space saver. Um, but it, it is the you know, and it's an ADR approved production vehicle, so it is a production vehicle, It not a prototype or a testing vehicle. And um, this is a big step for, for Hyundai. And obviously, you've got the Toyota. Uh, yeah hydrogen vehicle as well currently um going through the same testing and with these vehicles you know we're going to start seeing a little bit more of them on the road won't be as quick Uh, it's going to be again just like the very early days of electric cars but um but i think uh, this has the potential to to speed up quite quickly Moving on to some more conventional cars, of course, with nothing more conventional than Holden in Australia. Australia Post, though, is uh, honouring the brand by creating a unique stamp collection for those um, wanting to maybe not send some some mail with their favourite Commodore on the front, but um, maybe to have as a bit of a uh, keepsake. So... There's five stamps um, depicting the iconic cars from the 73 history as a manufacturer from 1948 to 2020. These $10 stamps feature Australia's own car, the 1948 Holden 48215, the 1963 EH Premier, and um, the 1968 HK Minari GTS the 1971 HK Kingswood Ute, and of course, the 2006 VE Commodore SSV. Uh, the are saying that uh, Straypost says that three stamp releases were in a unique position to highlight and honor important Australian icons. And the stamp issue recognizes the incredible impact that Holden had on the Australian cultural fabric. Um, Yeah, these are pretty cool designs. They do have a bit of a card. Um, They are saying it was, uh, you know, Mark Elbow, Managing Director of GM Australia in New Zealand, said it was a privilege for the Holden brand to be honored this way. These five stamps feature iconic vehicles, which helped encapsulate um, the passion people have for the brand, whether they be past employees who helped develop these vehicles or those who purchased them. Um, So make sure you head to your uh, favorite Australia Post um, you can run down and uh, grab the set and um, I certainly wouldn't wait to go for it unless you're in lockdown I wouldn't recommend then to to race out and grab them Uh, wait until that lockdown is over so um the Toyota GR86. This is a bit of an interesting thing because we've had a number of varying reports come out over the past week or so. Some saying that Toyota wanting to delay to differentiate their car from the BRZ a little bit more. Other ones are saying that um, the car could drive completely, significantly different to the Subaru Twin um, with totally different tuning. And then there's a current campaign sort of sneaking out. It's sort of originated from Subaru saying we do things best when we're together um showing both the Subaru and the Toyota badge so I'm sure we're not very far away from seeing the GR86 being revealed we've seen the, the new BRZ but um but I just wonder what is going on here. Um, they're saying, look, the they're badging it as a GR, so it is, but it is still very much a follow-up to the first-generation Toyota 86. Um, it shares the rear drive platform, the chassis, engine, body, and the 2 plus 2 interior. Um, they're saying the new Subaru BRZ, just for comparison, is bigger, slightly more powerful, so it has 170 kilowatts of power and 249 new meters of torque out of a 2.4-litre non-turbo four-cylinder boxer. And um, that Subaru BRZ will be going on sale in the second half of 2021. So not too sure when the new GR86 is going to be making its way down under. Will it launch at the same time? We just don't know. Um, but we are expecting the reveal to be fairly sh- fairly soon. Um, given how popular it was, it's pretty much I- I'd be very surprised if we don't get it here down under at all. Um, and it was, uh, yeah... We were meant to get the new updated vehicle a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, according to a dealer, like it was sort of pushed back a little bit. Um, but are you excited for the new 86? Are you excited for the new BRZ? Um, has, uh, have we moved on from that? Is the GR86 going to be relevant compared to the, the GR Yaris? Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's great, affordable sports car in that 30 to forty thousand dollar price mark um it would be wonderful if it had a turbo on it i know that it's it's kind of weird we haven't seen a turbo come out of toyota um, or even subaru for that fact um in this model even when we didn't see it in uh any updated models of the first generation it was a really bit of an odd one to see but i remain hopeful that we do see it at some point in this new gr86 particularly with nissan's 400z or the nissan z um which will no doubt be more expensive but is going to put pressure in this in this area in this sort of rear drive coupe area um across all price points it's it's a kind of an exciting area to to be hitting up and I'm i'm looking forward to it So uh, the Subaru Outback, uh, which you've probably seen a lot of ads on TV for at the moment, um, has already been recalled over a brake booster fault, so they've recalled about 256 cars already, um, but the recall... Um, And it's unrelated to the current stop delivery notice. And um, yeah, so it's had two recalls for the 2021 vehicle. And um, that second recall affects about 1982 examples. um, And it pertains to a fault with the car's pre-collision braking system. So this is a bit of an interesting one. It's a bit odd. um, But... I think uh, with any of these things, recalls are better to happen and happen early. Um, particularly with if, if this if these sorts of things, um, particularly brake booster, that's important, of course, when it comes to stopping the car. And the airline is a software issue, which isn't. Um, is obviously is an issue, but easier to resolve with a software update. Um, I think this is just more of a bit of a PSA. There's nothing really to to dive deeper into that. Um, I'm not really, I think uh, Subaru have a pretty great history. And uh, like I said, it's always better to issue a recall and to get the issue sorted than it is to let an issue persist um, and reluctantly have it uh, recalled later or even, you know, have someone unfortunately um, be injured or harmed in any way by not addressing it. So good move from Subaru. And the last bit of local news, so this one has got me pretty excited. So the new Kona N, it's not N-line, but the Kona N, the performance SUV that's coming out of the N division at Hyundai has been seen totally undisguised doing some filming near the Nürburgring. Um, it is expected to go on sale this summer in the UK. And, um, yeah, we've had some teaser shots and everything like that, but this is the first time we've seen actual photography of it. And boy, does it look good. I think it looks exactly... It pretty much hits the mark of what we've seen in the spy shots. Um, but I think with the white, with the black wheels, I think it really, um, is going to be a pretty exciting car. It is powered with the same engine that's coming from the i30N. Um, and I expect it to sound just as good as the i30N. And, um... Yeah, I think uh, it it, it certainly goes a little bit further uh, with the stand. It certainly stands out a lot more, even more than the i30 or the i20 N models when you line them up to their regular equivalent. And um, that sort of makes me... yeah. Ah, this is... It's exciting. It's exciting to see these cars coming out and um, with what we expect to have a fairly affordable price point and you're not needing to spend $150,000 on a car to have a bit of fun. Um, So... So to run over the engine, which has been confirmed that it is the same turbocharged two-liter four-cylinder petrol engine, um, it will be available exclusively with the eight-speed dual-clutch automatic gearbox that has been um, that we're expecting to see in the i30n very soon, and um, the six-speed manual won't be offered. But I don't think anybody's going to miss that in an SUV. It's not quite having a, a hot hatch thing. We don't have performance figures. We do expect it to be a little bit heavier, um, but it will have at least, you know, 250 horsepower. So let's jump onto some international news before we wrap up this episode. Um, Most interestingly, and this is something which we've been talking about a lot here in Australia, is the challenge of building uh, an electric network. Now we've seen Tesla being very successful in rolling out their supercharging network and um, it's, it's had a great effect in increasing the adoption, but we're not seeing that from other car makers just yet. We've seen some investment into some brands and we've had uh, even RACV, RACQ partner with electric networks to drive that, but not on the same scale as Tesla. But what's interesting is Jeep in the US are rolling out their own charging network in particular areas where off-roading is quite popular. So and this and this is about to make the 4xE uh, hybrid vehicle more accessible with charging nearby. So obviously, we're not going to be seeing the same type of charging network rollout like we're seeing with Tesla, but it's going to be something where um, you can fully charge your 4xe 17 kilowatt hour battery pack in about two hours, and then that will give you another 21 miles of electric range. Now, this isn't going to be exactly sort of game-changing like other full EVs or anything like that, But this is a great move to show that, yes, you can really go anywhere and, um, you know, utilize the electric power as well and the benefits that you get out of that hybrid in the 4xE. Um, There's going to be a number of different trails that are going to be prioritized for Their charging stations and then this sort of fits within like the Jeep badge of honor off-road trails so it's kind of a cool thing they do these are the places where you should go there's 56 off-road trails and more than seven across 17 states um, as of 2020 and um, the three trail areas which will be prioritized include uh, Moab in Utah the Rubicon Trail in Pollock Pines, California and Big Bear in California so I think this is exciting it's solar powered as well um it's, it's sort of working with that, you know, the Jeep and Electrify America movement at the moment. And um, yeah, this is, I think this is a cool thing. I think we need to see more of this. It's a great way to encourage 4 e owners to also go off-road and to utilize um, the hybrid, capabilities of their vehicle as well. Um, it's better for the environment, it's obviously less disruptive um, in terms of sound moving through that area. So yeah, this I think this is a great move and um, it'd be great to see even some of that roll out down here if we get the 4xE eventually. Um, the f- Nissan 400Z or the Nissan Z um, apparently has had its pricing specs and details sort of leak for the US. Um, we've seen some shots of it in the factory sort of leak out and um, it looks very, very close to the concept that we saw uh, not too long ago. Um there will be a type S and a type T apparently. So you'll get one which has sort of brakes with better brake packages, floating calipers, um, thicker sway bars. So you're going to have two different, essentially two different performance focuses as well as um, your different interior amenities and things like that. So it's like a touring package with the T. They're saying that the, the you know the Z car over there will be 34,995. Um, so it undercuts the Civic Type R, the Supra, um, which are the main rivals of the car. And um, the Type S and Type T packages will cost you about five thousand dollars each. Um, so if you want to put both of those packages together, you'll be about forty-five thousand dollars. That seems to be about in line of what we saw the 370Z um, here in Australia at that seventy-ish thousand-dollar mark. For the car, and um, I think if they can hit that, they should be able to find a bit of a market here in Australia. Particularly if you look at um, it, undercuts the Supra quite a lot, and um, it, it, it yes, it does stretch over the the 86, but you're going to be getting a lot more performance out of it. And um, I think this leverages a, a heritage that doesn't exist um, for some of those other cars. Definitely, obviously, with the Supra, but I think the pricing, we've spoken about it before, I don't think the pricing really suits the Supra, um, where this, they could be on a bit of a sweet point. So there is a 400 horsepower version coming out of a 3-liter turbocharged V6, um, which is going to be the nice uh, upgrade from the 370Z. You're going to probably miss out on that naturally aspirated acceleration that you get. Um, But yeah, I think it's... uh, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to this car. I might not be lining up for one to, to purchase one, but I'll be definitely, uh, as, as a car enthusiast, I'm very excited to, to see this and, and see seemingly such a big upgrade from the 370Z, which obviously carried on from the 350Z. And um, yeah, we haven't seen much evolution in that car, but this seems to be a very nice um, and clever way to update that, that particular brand and get some excitement. And then, finally, I uh, speaking about the GV70 quite a bit and um, they had their deposit match plan here and um, and we've only seen press photos but now we've finally had our first look courtesy of the US um, and seeing some of these real photos and I think it looks way better in person in this dark grey and dark grill sort of combination. Um, very... Porsche, like from the from the back, unmistakably uh, Genesis from the front, and um, obviously in the inside it's very very Genesis as well with your large floating uh, touchscreen, um, very luxurious looking uh, interior. And um, on the back, there's the the rear bar has a bit of a styling going on, which I think some people might not entirely love. Um, I think the alloy wheels, which they're showing off, is going to be an absolute nightmare to clean. Um, but. I think uh, you might just uh, need a good power washer to go to that. But it is going to be going up against the X3, the Q5, the Mercedes-Benz GLC. Um, And I think uh, if if you can undercut those in the right price, I think they're going to find a really great market position, particularly if they can get their uh, dealership, or not dealership, but their, their showrooms, their, their studios up and running to get the cars in front of people. That's a really the key thing which they're missing right now. Um, but we need pricing here. It, the car supposedly isn't far off, um, but we need some pricing to, to get people. I know we've had listeners reaching out to us and asking for pricing, and um, we haven't been able to get that at the moment and um, but as soon as we do it, we'll, we will let you know, no doubt, don't you worry. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for this car. I think this is a crucial car for Genesis. And um, if they can find some market share with the GV70, I think uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna create some longevity for the Genesis brand here in Australia. Uh, they're knocking it out of the park with all of the other vehicles, but I think this, this is going to be the car that uh, really makes or breaks it for them here in Australia. But um, but yeah, it seems like they're continuing that role of which they're on at the moment. Um, the GV80 was fantastic. The G80 was uh was great as well. And um, yeah, it's a it's a highly anticipated amongst uh, people that I've I've been talking to as well. Um, but there we go. That's pretty much everything. It's a again a bit of an eventful week, but um sometimes we just get bombarded with launches other times we don't and, and then we get some more interesting news uh, such as the the Volkswagen information but um but look if you if you want us to review in particular cars you can always email us at shows at dailyautofix.com or um, send us a message at Daily Autofix. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to us via um, Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And um, yeah, can't wait to, to be back here next week, hopefully out of lockdown. And um, until then, have a great Easter and uh, we'll see you back. All right. Bye. Bye.